Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 6, 1 through 8, 16 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go, to your, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to engage your word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and getting us to this point of the day. I pray, Father God, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to manifest himself at this present time, that you will open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you more clearly, that you would give us a desire to taste and to see that you are good. Help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness even now. Captivate our minds and our attention. Help us not to listen through a lens of fear or condemnation or shame, but to experience the good news of your son. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Well, good afternoon and uh, happy Mother's Day to uh, all of our, our mothers who are here today. And while we want to acknowledge uh, Mother's Day uh, and, and definitely congratulate those who are present, um, we also want to thank and praise God just for women, <laughs> uh, women who mentor and disciple uh, other uh, people as well. While Mother's Day is a wonderful celebration of mothers, it's also a difficult day for many. It's difficult for some who uh, perhaps may be grieving uh, the loss of a child, the loss of a mother, infertility. Uh, bad experiences as a mom or bad experiences as a child. And so regardless of where you find yourself today, um, along with uh, uh, Johnny and our worship team, I just want to acknowledge that and to let you know that God sees you and that uh, God uh, feels your pain. And not only does God see you and God feel your pain, but you have a body of believers who sit with you as well, who acknowledge um, how hard today may be. A couple of weeks ago, I sent my wife an article that um, identified the toughest jobs in America. It was uh, the top 10 toughest jobs of America, and it gave short paragraphs explaining uh, why. And right in the middle of that list was the job of mom. 
And then recently I read an article uh, that claimed that being a mom is equivalent to having two full-time jobs. The New York Post reports on a study conducted by Welch's Juice Company, because obviously Welch's cares about moms, um, as they surveyed 2,000 American moms who had children aged between 5 and 12 to analyze their weekly schedule. Now, these 2,000 moms um, with whom they surveyed, um, they did not put a particular emphasis on whether they worked at home or out of the home. But what the study revealed was that the average daily start time for a mom was 6.23 a.m. And the average completion for both moms who worked in a home and out of the home, the average time that their day ended, that their last task ended, was 8.31 p.m. The article argued that not many jobs require 14-hour workdays and that most moms have to do this every single day of the week. So to, to moms, we say, God bless your heart. Amen. But we want you to know that we see you, that we appreciate you, that we praise God for your hard work, but that most importantly, um, that God sees you. That oftentimes as a mom, the most significant loving acts in all of the world are done by you, and yet they go overlooked and unnoticed. And my message to you all today is that the most important things that you can do in life, they are seen by your heavenly Father, and that one day he will reward you. And God's invitation to us is to continue to cultivate hearts where God is big and people are small. Hearts that are not just okay with doing right, that are okay with doing righteousness in secret, that are okay with doing things that are not rewarded on this side of heaven, that are okay because they know that God is storing up a reward for them. So let's cultivate hearts like this that are intoxicated with God's love for us, that is cherishing his approval over us as opposed to the approval of others by looking at today's text. In verse 1, Jesus gives us the main point of this, this paragraph when he writes, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them to be seen by them. And this is Jesus' main point for this section. What Jesus is trying to teach us today is how to live in the presence of God, how to live under the authority of God, and how to live to the honor and glory of God. Jesus is going to teach this newly formed community, these new disciples who are on a mountain, hearing him teach. He's going to teach them to get today the importance of living before the audience of one the importance of not becoming approval junkies. And many of us in here, we struggle with pleasing man and living for the approval of man more than the approval of God. We struggle with doing works of righteousness in such a way that we want to be applauded and praised by man. And Jesus is taking a spiritual jackhammer to our hearts and showing us why that is unhealthy, why that is fickle, and ultimately why that does not satisfy. 
And he's going to do that today by, by giving us a juxtaposition. And the first is that he's going to show us a righteousness that pleases man, a righteousness that is man-produced, that is motivated by being seen. And then second, he's going to show us a righteousness that pleases God, a righteousness that practices uh, spiritual disciplines in private with the motivation to please the Father. And so uh, you'll see in today's text that Jesus is going to go through three spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are practices that we do, means of grace that help us to commune with God and have intimacy with Him. All right? There are practices that we do that help us to commune with God, to, to fellowship with God, and to have intimacy with Him. And there are also practices that God has given us to love others well. And so Jesus is going to show us the importance of these spiritual disciplines, how they, they build Christian character, but he ultimately wants to, to show us um, how to practice them in the right way. So in Matthew chapter 5, we see that uh, Jesus is really attacking the religion of the Pharisees, the religion of the spiritual heroes of, of Israel's day. And he does this by showing that their teaching um, is faulty. Um, now he's going to show us not the, the, the teaching of the Pharisees, but he's going to show us the practice of the Pharisees. And so we're going to have two main movements. And the first movement that we want to survey today is this idea, the difference between a man-motivated righteousness versus a God-motivated righteousness. And we're going to do this by looking at three spiritual disciplines, the discipline of giving, the discipline of prayer, and the discipline of fasting. And I want you to see how uh, a man-motivated uh, practice of these things looks. So in verse 2, Jesus says, So when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. So Jesus starts off by giving us an example of giving. And in the average uh, Jewish uh, synagogue in the first century, um, uh, there was a given portion. And in some synagogues, during a given portion, they would blow and sound trumpets. They would make a big deal out of it. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't do that, uh, for this is what the hypocrites have taught you to do. Now, when Jesus talks about the hypocrites, he's talking about the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he calls them to their face hypocrites. He says that they are, uh, uh, that they are whitewashed tombs, that they look good on the outside, but on the inside, they are full of dry man bones. Why? He says because they have a religion that is man-centered rather than God-centered. So Jesus is calling these people to himself. He's teaching them what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow him. And he's saying, listen, those who follow me are not going to, to live and practice their righteousness um, like the Pharisees practice their righteousness to be seen by others. When they give, they are not giving to be seen. They are not going to be hypocrites. Hypocrites was a, 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 a term for, for drama, a theatrical term that was used for, for actors in theater. He said, you're not called to act or to look a part, but you're called to be transformed into a part. And so Jesus calls them out and say, don't make a big deal out of when you give. Not only should you not make a public spectacle out of when you give, you shouldn't make a, a, a public spectacle out of when you pray. Verses 5 through 8, we see that Jesus is going to say these words. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Notice again. 
He gives us a negative example to start off because they love to pray. Standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, what? To be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room. So Jesus, again, is, is giving us a picture of, 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 of a negative example of prayer. In verse 7, he goes on to say, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before, before you ask him. So the Pharisees like to stand in public, he says. In the synagogues, they would do these long prayers. They would stand on the street corners and they would pray and people would look at them like, oh, look how holy they are. They are so amazing. I wish I could pray that long. Jesus is saying, stop it. Don't be like them. Don't pray to impress people. Don't babble like the Gentiles. Gentiles were non-Jewish people. And in most pagan cultures during that time, they would babble on and on. They would chant the same prayers over and over, hoping to have a, a spiritual moment in which they would kind of be caught up in a trance. So they would say the same prayer over and over and over and over until eventually they would get into a trance. And that was seen as like some super mystical, spiritual way to pray. Jesus is like, yo, stop it. Don't do that. And then he shows us what man-motivated fasting looks like. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So Jesus does the same thing in showing uh, the disciples not to make a public spectacle of, of when you fast. In fact, he's going to go on and say, put oil on your face, wash your face. Don't seek to please man with, uh, impress man with these spiritual, spiritual disciplines. And so if you remember earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, 16, these words, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And it seems like there may be a contradiction. Like, Jesus, which is it? Do you want me to do good works so that people can see me? Or do you want me to not do good works so that uh, people would not see me? And what Jesus is after here is after our heart and our heart's motive. Um, we should do good works. He's not telling us to, to never give um, so, that, so that people don't know that you gave. No, there are times where it's appropriate to, to let someone know that, hey, I gave to this cause. Um, he's not saying that you should never pray in public. Jesus, right after this, is going to teach his disciples how to pray in public, and he's going to pray in public. He's not telling us not to let people know when we're fasting. That would be pretty awkward if I was to do a, a day fast and didn't tell my wife, right? She cooks something and I like scrape it in the trash can when she's not looking or give it to the neighbor's dog. Like that's not what he's saying. What he's saying and what he's after is the motive of our heart. He's saying when you fast, when you pray, when you give, check your motive. Make sure that you are doing it so that he receives the glory and not because you are trying to find your identity in the approval of others. 
And we can expand this from these three disciplines to just about anything. When you sing, when you do art, when you practice hospitality, don't become so obsessed about your house being pristine and the food being perfect because you need people to approve you and to see you as a, as a great homemaker, a great chef. He says, remember the ultimate goal of any good work that you do is so that I may be exalted, so that I may be glorified, so that I may be seen and not you. And listen, we stay in a day and age where it is easy for us to find our identity, to find our approval in what other people think. Social media is a blessing. It helps us to stay in touch with friends. Well, sometimes. Um, It helps us to stay in touch with friends. It helps us to receive encouragement. Um, It helps us to let people know what's going on in our lives. But it also can be be a, a, a real detriment if we go to social media to find our identity and to find our approval. If we allow how many likes we get or loves we get or how conversations go on that to be where our posture and what people think of us um, to find it in that. And so Jesus is challenging his disciples to come home, (laughs) to see that no one deserves praise and honor and glory but God the Father and that we are not the (laughs) S-U-N's. That he is the the S-O-N that is meant to shine, and we are but the moon reflecting his light. There's an interesting story in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, they are in a a city called uh, uh, Lystra. And as they are are there and 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 hanging out with the Lyconian people, they perform a great miracle. A person who was lame and sick is made whole by them praying for them. And listen to what the text says. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they shouted, saying, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. So they do this incredible miracle, and everyone who sees this miracle done is like, yo, this must be Zeus and Hermes. They didn't say yo, but they said something like yo in the Lyconian language, right? And they are like just losing their mind. They're like, somebody set up an altar. Somebody get some bulls, get some calves. Like, like Zeus and Hermes are here. Now look at their response. The apostle Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, people, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you, and we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. I love what they do. Here's an opportunity for them to possibly find their identity in this this miracle that they did. Here's their opportunity just like to write a book, right? How to live your best life now and go on a tour and talk about this miracle that they did and how they, they, they had this great moment. That's not what they do. They use that moment to preach the gospel. They use the moment to point people to Jesus. And in reading this week and just thinking about this, I just started thinking about how, how easy it is for me 
to want to, to steal just a little bit of Jesus's light. And how easy it is for us to just bask in his glory and to skip over opportunities to point people to Jesus and to take those opportunities for ourselves. And God isn't calling us to be awkward. Somebody gives us a compliment to like do this false humility thing where we're like, oh, thank you, you know, it really isn't me, it's the God in me, you know. But to have a posture of our heart that says, no, thank you, I genuinely appreciate it, to really believe that, that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the applause. Jesus is greater than the praise. Jesus is greater than the, the honor, and he deserves it all. And I'll admit to you that that's been way too much of my life as an approval junkie. And this especially hit ahead when I first started pastoring about 13 years ago. And, and something just changed in my heart where I just felt this pressure that I needed to, to be the type of pastor that uh, members of my church would be proud of. So much so that it became crippling. And I remember my wife and I, we just first got married and I was just dealing with this social anxiety. And I, I just was overly critiquing myself after Sundays and every little conversation like, man, if a, a wiser pastor would have said this, what could have I done? How could I uh, have done better? And I wasn't trusting uh, who God had made me. I wasn't uh, uh, looking to him. I was looking to myself in my own strength. I'll never forget, I was sitting across from an older mentor. And he was asking me for a prayer request. And I said, man, it just feels like I'm suffocating. I'm, I'm losing the joy of ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm beating myself up all the time. And I, man, I, I, just, I just have this fear of people that I'm not doing enough. And he looked at me, and it was kind of funny. It wasn't fun, funny at the moment, but now that I look at it, it was funny. He just looked at me and said, boy, stop caring about what people think. And he was like, let's pray. I'm like, all right, then. <laughs> And he just prayed for me that I would find my identity in Christ. And every now and then when I feel that anxiety coming up and I'm overly critiquing myself or um, I'm, I'm nervous about an interaction, I, I can just kind of hear uh, the Lord speaking to me through his voice. Stop obsessing about what other people think about you. And God's invitation to you this evening is to live before the audience of one. It's to live in such a way to please him. And some of you are just crippled. You're crippled because you're living for the approval of your parents. And you haven't yet realized that perhaps you have parents that will never be satisfied with what you do. Or you're living for the approval of your spouse. And God is inviting you to, to detach your umbilical cord, uh, metaphorically speaking, from your spouse or you're living from the approval of maybe those students, you're a teacher and you're working as hard as you can, but it seems like, like it's never enough for those students or it's never enough for your boss. God tells us to, to work heartily as unto him, not as unto man, as unto him. And here's the beautiful thing about working wholeheartedly as unto him is that what makes you right before God is not the product that you put out, but it's the posture of your heart. It's you placing your faith in the righteousness of his son and allowing that to motivate you to pursue him in all that you do. God is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
He's reminding you that sometimes the most significant and important things in the world often go unnoticed and overlooked. God sees you when you're folding laundry or not folding laundry because you just put a whole load in the washer and a dryer and you're exhausted. God sees you when you're wiping the bottom of those kids and changing those blowouts and running people back and forth to school and to practice. God sees you when you're massaging your wife's feet or encouraging that friend who is struggling with where they are in life. God sees those mostly overlooked, sometimes seemingly insignificant acts of love. And he says, my child and who am I well pleased? If no one else says thank you, I'm letting you know I appreciate you as my servant. Don't live for the approval and, 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 and pleasure of others. Live for the approval and pleasure of me. And he does this by showing us the positive. And that's our second movement. It's a survey how the love of praise, it, it really does set you up to miss the Father's affection. Let's go through this quickly. He shows us with giving in verse 3. He says these words. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And so he encourages us and he's using hyperbole, right? Because your right hand is going to know what your left hand is doing. And if it doesn't, it's because you're not healthy. Okay. So again, he's saying the motive of the heart is for you not to make a big deal out of it. And then in prayer, he says the same thing. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And the average person in first century Judea, um, they would have heard this and they probably would have laughed because most homes only had one room. And if they had a, a second room, a lot of times it was a closet. And so Jesus is saying, go into that closet and pray. What is he saying? Go out your way to foster a heart and a character that is lived in his presence for his pleasure and his glory and not for the pleasure and glory from others to you. And he shows us the same thing with fasting. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face so that it may be obvious to us, so that it may not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this takes faith because it is so easy to find our identity in people whom we see. And it's hard sometimes to find our identity in someone who we know exists, we know is real, but who is unseen. And that's why we have to constantly pray to the Lord, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to, to uh, see myself as you see me. Help me to see my worth and my value as you see me. It's interesting that in this text that Jesus repeatedly says that what is done in secret, he will reward you. And then he goes on to say that if we live for the approval and the praise of other people, we have received our reward. Now, what Jesus is saying there is that you from man have received your full reward. You shouldn't respect on a day of judgment another reward for him. And I believe ultimately what he is saying is that if we live our life like the Pharisees and we look back over our life and our life was lived for the glory of ourselves and to please people, it may be because we never truly gave our heart to God. 
And he's saying, look at this. Look at, look at how fickle living to please other people is. That moment that you receive their praise, that's the best that it gets. And you're just like me. You know that it doesn't last long, does it? And that's because God has created our hearts to be filled by him and not by anything else. He's created our hearts with a God-shaped hole, and if we are putting in our heart the praise of other people and we're allowing that to fuel us every day, we're going to find ourselves as approval junkies. We're going to find ourselves up and down with how many likes we have or who called us or who patted us on the back and said, good job. Now, God has created us for community, and he has created us to be encouraged desiring encouragement and being encouraged by encouragement is not a bad thing. It's when we live for encouragement. It's when we find our identity in that encouragement where it does not become good. Living for the approval of others is exhausting. Trust me, I know. It's exhausting because people are fickle and their opinions of us change. It's exhausting to begin to become uh, worrisome and to obsessively think about what other people think. And when we're living for the approval of men, we find ourselves fishing for compliments. We find ourselves trying to be politically correct over biblically correct. We find ourselves willing to sin rather than face rejection of certain individuals. We find ourselves starting to believe that rejection is, by people is the worst thing that can possibly happen. And God is trying to free us from that today. And he's trying to free us from that today by giving us a picture of his love. Psalm 139 says that he knew us before he formed us in, in our mother's womb. It tells us that his, his works are wondrous. It tells us that his, our bones were not hidden from him when we were made in secret, when, when we were formed in the depths of the earth. It tells us that he saw us when we were formless and that all our days were written in his book and planned before a single one of them began. It tells us that in God's sight, we are precious and his thoughts are precious towards us. Love what the psalmist says, if I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. I want to pause right there. This is what God the Father says about you. You who have hidden your life in him. You have hidden your heart in him. It says that his thoughts towards you are more numerous than the grains of the sand. That when you wake up, he's still with you. And it doesn't matter about your performance the night before or the day before. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is, is that our worst days and our best days are equal before God the Father. That we are equally as righteous because our righteousness does not come from us, but it comes from his son. A scandalous grace. And it's that grace that motivates us to work wholeheartedly as to him. It's that grace that sanctifies us. It's that grace that causes us to want to pursue wholeness and holiness. It's that grace that keeps us, that, that washes us, that renews us, that God is crazy about me, that nothing can separate me from his love. Let 
You know, two things I love about kids. One is I love when my kids come in the room. It's just so funny to me, and they're just vying for attention. Sometimes it's annoying. I'm not going to sit up here and tell a story in the pulpit, lighten it, come down. But <laughs> most times it's cute. They run in, you're in the middle of a conversation, and it's like, Daddy, look at me. Daddy, 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 look at me. Look at me. And then you look, and what they do is like, wow, that's what you wanted me to see, right? But because they're your kid, you're like, great job. I see you, and I love you, right? <laughs> and that's how God has created all of our hearts to to want to be seen, to want to be appreciated, to want to be encouraged. He has built that into us from a child. And here's what God is saying to you today. He's saying, I see you. I see all of your acts. I see all of your hard work. I see all of the things you think is unnoticed or maybe you think is insignificant. And I say, you are my child in whom I'm well pleased. Another thing I, I learned was this, a couple years ago, went on vacation and uh, we left our, our, our children with a babysitter. And I was having a hard time connecting with one of, my, one of my kids at the time. It was my youngest child, trying to do everything. I was taking her on dates. I, she, just was, she just wouldn't say daddy. She was just saying mama. Every time I'm like, no daddy. I pay for this burger, girl. Mama ain't here. And so we go away on vacation and I come back and I run up to her and she just is like, mama, mama, mama. And then she looks at the babysitter that was keeping her and she looks at the husband and called him daddy. And I said, no, you didn't. (laughs) So needless to say, I spoiled the heck out of her for two weeks. She was confused. But the Lord taught me a huge lesson Okay, and here's the lesson that he taught me. Some weeks later, he said, Jamal, when you live for the approval of other people, you essentially are going to them as if they are your father, as if they are your provider, as if they are the one who gives you breath, who gives you purpose, as if they are the one who are supplying your every need, and they are not. You have one father. And it's me. And who are you calling father? Who are you so attached to that if they don't approve you, if they don't affirm you, who are you going out your way to prove yourself to so much that you sometimes find yourself stretching the truth or exhausting yourself to please them? God is saying, reorient your attention to me because I see you Hebrews 6 and 10 says for God is not unjust listen to this but Pastor Jamal if I don't put myself out there if I don't remind people of what I'm doing I'll I'll never be seen for God is not unjust he will not forget your work and the love you showed for his name when you serve the saints and you continue said, I will not forget your labor. I won't forget your time in child care. I won't forget your time on Connect. I won't forget your time in community group. I won't forget your time waking up early to pray for someone. I won't forget your time in, in sending a text message to encourage them. I won't forget you.
Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God says, I will fulfill you. I'm your portion. I'm enough. Jesus is our reward. It's not being well thought of by others. It's not fulfilling the American dream. It's not keeping up with the Joneses or the Kardashians or whoever. (laughs) We are most satisfied in him. And every Sunday when we gather together, we take a meal called communion that reminds us that Jesus is our substance, that he is the one who fulfills us. Check this out. What Jesus did on the cross was the most significant moment in human history, his cross and his resurrection. And yet both were done in a way that really seemed insignificant and unseen. On Golgotha's hill, Jesus only had a few people there to support him, one being his mother. All of his friends had left. All of his friends had betrayed him. And he died a very lonely death, agonizing death. And while everyone, while no one else was looking, God the Father was looking. And it says that he was pleased to crush him. At that moment, God the Father allowed your sin and my sin to be nailed on that cross so that we would receive his righteousness and he would take upon himself our sinfulness. The most significant moment in human history was not celebrated by man, and yet it pleased God the Father. This is how God works. The most significant things that we can do often go unnoticed and unapplauded. And may God give us the grace to be okay with that. Every Sunday we break bread. We drink wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we do this to remember the goodness of Jesus. We dip the bread in wine or juice um, and we take this meal as a family. Uh, giving our hearts back to the Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, we want to invite you just to to sit and to meditate and to receive this meal. And also, if you're a Christian, to not take this meal if you find yourself walking and uh, an habitual uh, bitterness towards another brother and sister. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's better that you not take communion um, and that you allow uh, the Lord and the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and to make things right with him and with your brother and sister uh, rather than eat a meal that represents reconciliation. And it's no shame in staying. It's no shame in not coming forth. It actually is a strength of you live, a sign of you living in the audience of one. Those of you in the front, come to the front, back, go to the back, gluten-free communions to my left. Let's pray.